Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's go uh, directly to Scripture, first of all, from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, the first chapter, the story of creation, that climactic sixth day of creation. Listen to God speak. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then turning to the second chapter. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then turning to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter, we read, when Jesus uh, had taught these things. He left Galilee. He went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife? And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen. Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that there has been much controversy in our culture about the definition and the meaning of marriage. Indeed, the Supreme Court is set to make some kind of decision with regard to the legal definition of marriage in June, and uh, there has been a whole lot of heat surrounding this issue, but perhaps not a whole lot of light, and people are more polarized than ever. Sadly, civil discourse on these matters seems relatively rare. I've been planning to preach on uh, the topic of marriage for some time now, and it would seem strange for your pastor not to say anything about this topic in this time of controversy. Marriage, after all, is a pretty important topic. 
So let's now turn to Holy Scripture to see what it has to say. As Christians, this is the place to begin, for we are above all people of the book. When it comes to knowing what we are to believe, what we are to do, we turn to the Bible, not to personal feelings, not to experience or to public opinion or to social media or the latest political secular orthodoxy or science or government or the Supreme Court. In other words, we Christians, we get our marching orders from the Bible as the Word of God, not from culture. If we cave into the culture and allow the culture to define what the church believes, then we will lose our identity and our capacity to speak prophetically to the culture. Scripture defines us, shapes us, instructs us, guides and directs us. Scripture is our authority for faith and life. What then does the Bible have to say about marriage? Well, we begin with the opening chapters of the book of Genesis where God sets forth his intention for his creation. And there we discover that marriage and the gift of sexuality is God's idea. Marriage is God's invention. At the very climax of the, of the Genesis account of creation, we see God bringing a woman and a man together to unite them in marriage so that the two become one flesh. In fact, the Bible begins with a marriage, that between Adam and Eve. It, it uh, ends with a marriage, the book of Revelation, the, a wedding between Christ and his church. And significantly, marriage between a man and a woman is affirmed by Jesus himself in the Gospels. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. To be sure, marriage is also a human institution, and as such, it reflects the culture in which it is embedded. Different marriage customs abound. But the concept and the roots of marriage are grounded in God's own action. And therefore, what the Bible has to say about God's design for marriage is of profound importance. In the Presbyterian wedding liturgy, the minister says that marriage is instituted by God, regulated by his commandments, blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. What God institutes, God regulates. So when we enter into this institution created by God, we need to be aware of what the regulations are. That is, we need to know what God had in mind for marriage in the first place, ask what his purposes are, and then live according to that design. And I think you understand what this means in other realms of life. For instance, if I go out and buy a car, a car which I have not manufactured myself, then I will be sure to look, or at least I should look, at the owner's manual so that I know how to properly care for that car. I'll make sure that the oil is changed, that the maintenance is carried out, and so on. I will operate the car according to the designer's purposes. So too in the area of marriage. We ignore the designer's instructions to our peril. So marriage and sexuality is God's idea, and living according to God's design realizes God's purposes for us and brings us true joy and fulfillment. Living God's way is always better it spares us much heartache and pain. Let's look then at some important aspects of marriage as God designed it to be. And one of the first things we learn is that gender matters. There are actually two creation stories in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. 
And the first chapter gives us a kind of bird's eye view of creation. On the climactic sixth day, we are told, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here, the equality of the sexes is affirmed since both share in the image of God and the stewardship of the earth. The man and the woman are called to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion over the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, we have a more particular view of creation. Here, the basic complementarity of the sexes is affirmed, a complementarity that forms the basis for marriage as God designed it to be. Now, let's take a closer look at this. The story begins with the aloneness of Adam in the garden. It begins with his need for companionship. And the Lord God said, it is not good, it's not good that the man should be alone. God has created us to be social beings since God is love and has made us in his own likeness. God has given us the capacity to love and to be loved, and that is done within community. You know, we are created to be in community with others. We need each other. But God goes on. I will make a helper suitable for him or corresponding to him. This does not mean helper in the subordinate sense of an assistant to the man, right? But helper in the sense of a true partner of similar nature. And then God performs a special work of divine creation in creating Eve. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. I've always liked that little detail of, of Eve being created out of the, the man's rib. I, I like that. Which reminds me of the story of a little boy who uh, came home from Sunday school, and he was all excited because his teacher had just been teaching about Adam and Eve and, and how God created Eve and took a rib out of the man's side. And all of a sudden, there was a, there was a woman. And she, he was so excited. A few days later, uh, you know, after he had talked to his parents about this, how excited he was, a few days later, he came to his mom with this frown on his face. And he said, Mom, Mom, my side hurts. I, I think I'm having a wife. Oh, man. In any case, God created woman, which was really the icing on the cake of God's creation. I mean, God couldn't do any better than this. By the way, in the creation story, Eve was the only creature that was made from an existing living thing. All other creatures were made from the ground. So, Guys, when we get a little bit too cocky, we need to remember that we're a piece of dirt. Uh, women come from much better stock, right? I guess that lays us open, doesn't it? Lynn's going to say to me, Mark, you're a piece of dirt. The differentiation of the sexes is God's idea. And their union is that union that lies at the heart of marriage. Adam found a complement to himself of similar nature, but wonderfully different. How great is that? Thank God for that. They correspond to one another, but they're not the same, 
And together, male and female, they reflect the very image of God. Having created woman out of man, God brought her to him, much as today the bride's father gives her away. And Adam then breaks out spontaneously in history's first love poem. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the Genesis account continues. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. According to God's design for marriage, then, gender matters. It is not gender neutral. By God's definition, it's the union between a man and a woman who become one flesh. They become one flesh not only through the physical union made possible by the complementarity of male and female sexual organs, but one flesh in every other way. It's a deep spiritual complementarity. It's the blending of two personalities of which our maleness and our femaleness play an essential part. Physical sexual union is a sign and seal of that total union, body, soul, and spirit between a man and a woman. And the result is absolutely beautiful. The two become one flesh, total life union. It's a sacred mystery, a gift from God. And so special and so strong is this bond between a man and a woman in marriage that the Apostle Paul likens marriage to the mystery of the relationship between Christ and his church and does so on two different occasions, in Ephesians and again in 1 Corinthians. There is another aspect of, of God's design for marriage that I'd like for us to note, and that is marriage is based on a covenant. And this covenant is meant to be permanent. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There are, there are two strong verbs that are being used here in this passage, leaving and being united. But being united doesn't sound like it's very strong. Really, uh, you can better use that archaic word, uh, cleaving, you know. Uh, there's a leaving and there is a, a cleaving. Uh, cleaving has a better sense of the Hebrew. It means to be glued to something, to be glued to your partner in a covenant of everlasting faithfulness. It is that permanent commitment to one another that provides the framework for marriage within which marital love can flourish and provides the stable basis for the creation of a new family within which children are conceived and raised. Marriage is based on a covenant of faithfulness which reflects God's own covenant faithfulness to his people. And it's meant to be permanent. As Jesus himself said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. To sum up then, marriage is God's idea grounded in the very order of creation, built into the fabric of the universe. According to his design, marriage is between a man and a woman who enter into a profound, permanent covenant of faithfulness, becoming one flesh, body, soul, and spirit, a total commitment involving total life union. And this is the biblical definition of marriage. It's what Christians have believed everywhere for 2,000 years. And it's critical for us to remember that Jesus himself affirmed this very definition as part of the created order, as God's intention from the beginning. Listen again to his words. 
Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So there is no warrant in Holy Scripture for any other kind of marriage. Following God's design for marriage is always good and always healthy, for God always has our best interests at heart. It's good not only for individuals and for families and for children, but for society as a whole. We say in the Presbyterian wedding, wedding liturgy, God gave us marriage for the well-being of human society, for the ordering of family life, for the birth and nurture of and children. It's for the welfare and happiness of humankind, and we pray that marriage will be held in honor by all. Now, having said all this, let me now offer my own personal opinion. And I always want to be careful to distinguish when I'm preaching Scripture and when I'm offering my own personal opinions. So this is just such an occasion. This is what I think. I offer it very humbly. I'm well aware that there are many people who disagree with these biblical views. And I know that they won't hold water with those who don't accept the Bible in the first place as an authority for their life. It may make sense within the Christian community, but not necessarily outside of it. As the Supreme Court deliberates on the legal definition of marriage, you can bet that they will not consult the Bible. The legal system has long ago left its Judeo-Christian moorings. I fully accept the fact that we live in a pluralistic democratic society, and I know better than to impose my sincerely held Christian convictions on the, on the, on the larger culture. There are many living together patterns that I don't approve of on moral or theological grounds, but then, nonetheless, I think that they should be legally permissible in the larger culture. Not everything we believe to be morally out of bounds, given our biblical convictions, ought to be declared illegal in a democracy. Again, in the Christian community, we can hold ourselves accountable to these teachings, but not society as a whole. That doesn't mean that we don't have a voice in the public square, but if we're to make a case for, for marriage between a man and a woman, what's called the traditional view, then we can't use the Bible, but we have to be able to argue for how it might be good for society as a whole. We can explain how marriage is the key stabilizing force in society, good for people, for families, for children. Where healthy marriages flourish, societies flourish. In my personal opinion, I think a good case can be made for legalizing civil unions with full rights granted to couples, the same as in marriage. I am for everybody. The church is for everybody. And all should have equal rights. The problem that I have is with the word marriage, which, is, as I have said by its very definition, is that special relationship between a man and a woman ordained by God and built into the fabric of the created order. No one can redefine marriage, for marriage is God's idea, and the church must always lift up God's design as something good and beautiful and healthy 
honoring it always. Sadly, Christians have done a lousy job of teaching the biblical view of marriage and sexuality, and it's no wonder there is so much confusion about the whole subject. It's so important that we go back to the biblical text and really, really listen to what God is saying. In this day of sexual and moral confusion, the church should not be adding, added to that, adding to that confusion. But it's very important that all of us, especially our young people, should receive clear guidance from their church. Not only do we have to lift up the blessing and value of Christian marriage, teaching that, but we need to model it. Here, too, the Christian community has failed to properly model the blessing and the beauty of marriage. And it's a scandal that the divorce rate among Christians is just as high as that between non-Christians. If we are concerned about marriage in our culture, then if we are married, we must look to the health of our own marriages. I mean, would that all of our marriages would be shining examples of what true marriage was meant to be. Well, um, so much to say and so little time. What do I get, 15, 20 minutes <laughs> to tackle a subject like this? There is so much more. And uh, so I'll have more to say about these and other topics related to marriage and to sexuality and so on. And uh, next week we'll take a look at what makes for a, for a great marriage. Okay? So let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift and for the blessing of marriage. And we pray that as a church uh, that we would lift high that value and uh, that we would live according to your design, which is always good for us. Uh, Lord, give us wisdom and guidance as we deal with all aspects of this. But above all, Lord, we pray for ourselves and, and pray that we would be open to what you are saying, open also to others. And uh, uh, Lord, just uh, in, in all things, in all ways, keep us faithful to you, uh, speaking the truth and love always. For you have called us to do just this. In Christ's name we pray, amen.